Hello, and welcome to PodRocket, the podcast that is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams to improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it free at LogRocket.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Paige Niedringhaus, and I am your host today for this particular episode of the PodRocket podcast. And with us today are two exciting guests from the React Core team. We have Satya and Joe Savona. And Satya, welcome. I'm sorry that I did not say your last name, but I was afraid of butchering it. So if you could please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your experience working on the React Core team and how long you've been at it. My name is Satya Grasegaran. <laughs> so before I joined Meta and the React team, I used to work on V8, which is the JS compiler in Google Chrome. And then I've been at Meta for a over a year, and I've been working on a React compiler with a bunch of amazing folks here on the React team. Awesome. And Joe, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners yeah. about you. My name is Joe Savona. I've been at Meta for almost nine years now, most of that time working on Relay, which is our GraphQL client for React. And then over the last few years, working on React itself, and most recently on React Compiler. So the, you know, what we're here to talk about, React Forget. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. So we have some listener questions that I'm going to be sprinkling in as we talk about today's topics, which is, as you said, mostly about React Compiler, but it's also some of the other things that you've been working on, React server components and meta documentation and off-screen rendering, things like that. So one of the questions that I thought would be a good lead-in for you is the introduction of hooks in React was really a game changer for the way that developers build web apps in general. So what do you expect is going to be the next paradigm shift in React? What kind of use cases are you really looking towards and building and optimizing for? Sure. Yeah, I think the the next big paradigm shift is happening now, and that is server components. I'm sure there will be a thing after that down the road in a few years, but we're still right in the middle of a big shift right now, and that, that's server components. And I think we've talked about this a lot on like a bunch of different places. And I think depending on your background and how you approach React, server components may kind of register or make sense in different ways. But the basic idea is that server components are React components that can run on the server. So with traditional server-side rendering, you're taking the kind of client-side React code and running it ahead of time on the server, whereas server components are components that only run on the server. And they get to run on the server right near your data. You can have async components that just that go and you know, use regular async await to go and fetch data and then render a bunch of client components. And the idea is that you can do all your data loading on the server and then figure out which client component you need to render and then send just that component and its props down to the client and then continue rendering there for interactivity. And this has a lot of analogies. If you're kind of familiar with like a Rails background, for example, you might mm -hmm. think about the stuff that you used to do in Rails and then have Rails hand off to React. You can do the Rails piece of it on the server in React and kind of use one framework. There's a bunch of other kind of interesting things that server components enables. You can have components that can run both on the server or the client. An example would be everyone's favorite blog example of markdown posts, right? Where like if you're just viewing the blog, you might as well just render the markdown to HTML on the server. So you don't have to download right. that very large, complicated code to convert markdown to HTML to the client. But if you're mm -hmm. editing the blog, well, now you can have an interactive preview and use that same exact component. And that's the kind of thing that you couldn't do when you're mixing technologies, right? Whether it be 
Rails and React or PHP and React, or even some of the other kind of MPA frameworks in JavaScript where you mix, mm -hmm. right, a different set of different code, different types of logic, like for example, for Astro or something else between like your Astro components and your React components. And when you use server components, it's all just one exact same technology. And so you can have these truly shared components. So I yeah. think that is a really big paradigm shift. And still early, there's still a lot of people who are like figuring out how to adopt them. It's still a bit experimental and support across the ecosystem is coming along. That's really cool to hear, actually. And I love it because I'm a big user of Next.js already. So I've had a little bit of that with get server-side props and the ability right. to kind of, if you correctly build it, you can use the same code on the client and on the server, but it is still painful at some certain points. So yep, right. having React build that in from the beginning and really support it as a first-class experience, I see it only improving. So that's really awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. We're really excited about it. All right, so let's get more into what we really wanted to talk about, which was React Compiler. So in a recent blog post the React core team published, you talked about some of the new things that you've been working on in React Compiler, which is also known as React Forget, it's very aptly named, was a big thing that I think a lot of people are interested in hearing more about because it's kind of new and it's yep. still a work in progress. So maybe you could start by just giving our audience an idea of what is React Forget and why have you nicknamed it an auto-memoizing compiler versus an automatic reactivity compiler? Yeah, kind of initially the way we thought about Forget, and if, in case you're not familiar, we came up, I think it was Sebastian who came up with this idea of puns for projects that start with F, started with, <laughs> with fiber and it has continued. And yeah, and so forget the idea is that you can just forget about memoizing code. You can just forget about that the thing in, in React, or at least that's one of the puns. There's probably others. Like you can forget about the project because it'll never succeed. Like <laughs> people like to come up with all kinds of variants. But in any case, so it started off as really auto-memoization where we thought about, okay, when you write React, the kind of mental model is that you re-render components and their props flow down to children and the, those children re-render, right? And so conceptually, you're re-rendering the tree conceptually from top to bottom every time there's any, kind of any change. And then React has a bunch of optimizations within that. And one of the things that the user can do is to add manual memoization. So using react.memo or mm -hmm. in the old days, should component update, right? React pure component. So there's kind of variations of this. And then of course, within a component, you can use, uh, use memo and use callback. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is you can figure out, okay, where are my updates actually flowing and which parts are really unaffected? And if you add memoization, that sort of constrains the update to the actual path that matters. You have some value that's like flowing from one component down to one particular leaf, and you can just avoid all the other paths along the way. And this works really reliably. You can use like dev tools to figure out which components should have some memoization added, go add that, and now you're gonna get pretty good update performance. But there, there is that manual component. You do have to actually pay attention to adding that memoization logic, figuring out like when, as your component of like changes over time, making sure to keep that memoization logic correct, Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have some new property, you have to make sure that you're checking for it or else your component won't update, things like that. And so the idea was, okay, memoization is really more of an implementation detail. Like you shouldn't have to ideally think about that. What we want is for React to just be automatically reactive. It should just, when data changes, your, your UI should just react to that automatically. And so the idea of forget is that we initially thought about it as just really getting rid of the need to write use memo or react to memo manually. 
And over mm -hmm. time, we realized it's really about the reactivity model that we want developers to think about. I have a value. When it changes, all the places that it's used will just automatically update, right? And what that means is, unfortunately, in JavaScript, if you create a new array in every single render, that is a new array, right? JavaScript does not consider them equivalent. If you do that, React will sort of overreact and say, ah, this is a new array. I must redo my rendering because you've given me a new value. And so the idea is, Think about it as an auto-reactivity compiler is to say, okay, let's really understand the semantics of JavaScript and make it so that your components react when they should and not more than they should. And so that's that, that's how we think about it. And of course, the implementation of that is memoization, yes, but conceptually, it really is more about reactivity and reacting exactly when and only when it we need to. I remember when I was reading through the article, it said when values meaningfully change instead of just values exactly. have changed. Like you said, it's the same array, but it's just been recreated because the re-render function right. has run. You touched on it a little bit already, but give us some more examples of how React can be too reactive. Because I think we've all gotten stuck in those infinite loops before and use effect. We've re-rendered, we've watched the same effects happen multiple times and wondered why, because nothing really has changed on the page. Right. Yeah. I think the most common one is things like creating a new value. You're calling a function that returns a new object. You're calling a hook that returns a new object because the hook probably should have had internally used memo, but it didn't. And so now you're getting a new value. And so you're just accidentally creating new values. And then those, of course, like you said, those can flow in as a dependency to a use effect. And then that triggers. And if that use effect is doing a set state or something, some of what we touched on with like the use effect and infinite loops can happen because you're using an effect and setting state. And there may be, I think there can often be other patterns there. The new docs really touch on, you have this whole section, you might not need an effect, which is, I definitely would like send people to. If you're having issues with effects, definitely read the new guide uh, around effects. Cause I think it taught Dan and the others who worked on docs, like uh, did a great job of really talking through the kind of patterns that effects are for and really how to think about modeling those. Um, but yeah, definitely. It's really almost anything in JavaScript, any function call, including hook calls can introduce a new value and that just, Right. It has some side effects. Yeah. So what are some of the common misconceptions that people might have about React Forget? And this might be because you started going in one direction and then have since changed based on learnings or it's just not well known yet. Maybe this is a good time to give a bit of insight on the history of like how the project has evolved. I think initially it was just a prototype with a Babel transformation that worked on the ASD and added like memo calls. And then we rewrote that to be a little more complex. And then we tried rolling that out in our code base here at Facebook. And we ran into a bunch of issues. For example, it wouldn't be able to do fine grain memoization. That's something that we thought was important. So we ended up rewriting it again. Um, this time, we ended up doing a way more sophisticated static analysis on it. So we ended up not having just an ASD level IR, but like something that is like a control flow graph and then have that, have all the analysis run on that. The, the interesting bit is like, we compile back to JavaScript then, and then we try very hard to like keep the same structure as the input code. So it doesn't look very different from the original source. But it doesn't so, get too much bigger than the original. Right. So I think that's like one of the interesting bits is like most of the common like transformation tools in the JS ecosystem work on the AST level and they don't really work on the IR level like the mm -hmm. kind of graph level. So I think that's interesting that most folks haven't really thought about when we talk about forget. I guess the other bit is like how our understanding and our thought on what forget is has evolved. Like one thing is 
the auto-reactivity bit that Joe touched upon. The other bit is like, as we teach forget about React, it becomes this semantic analysis platform for React. It can do way more things than just reactivity. Like, for example, it can like, you no longer have to think about, say, dependency arrays. It, it can automatically compile that in for you. And then you can add way more linting so that it's like you have like a nice React assistant in your IDE that gives you hints and lints when you write some code that is not idiomatic React. Mm-hmm. So that's how our thing has evolved with Forget. Yeah. And like some of those are ideas that we're still working on, right? Initially, we are focused on, and I think in my head, Forget is the auto memoization piece, and that's the part that comes first. Mm-hmm. And like some of those pieces, like the kind of the improved lint rules, maybe doing automatic dependency arrays for use effect or use layout effect. Those are more like in the React compiler vein, which will like maybe come come as like future features. But yeah, it's so, definitely more of a platform. So, do you see React Forget taking the place of use memo and use callback and having to set your own dependency arrays? Like in the future when it's implemented, will you not have to use those hooks anymore or think about what you should put in your dependency array for use effect? Yeah, for the dependency array for use effect, it's probably, it's like a little bit different. There are still some cases right now where you do need to kind of manually specify a dependency array just because of there's like variables you don't want to react to. And it's kind of, uh, and we're working on a new API use effect event, which is meant for that case. But as far as use memo and use callback and also react.memo, that those may disappear as concepts of like completely still TBD if like if they'll 100% disappear or if it'll just be that something you almost, that you kind of rarely have to think about. But certainly yeah. the, the idea is that for the most part, you'll just write code, let forget memoize it and move on with your day. Yeah. A general developer who's doing something that's pretty standard would never have to think about it. Maybe if you're doing a library or some really special use case, you might need to do it yourself, but generally you shouldn't have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Awesome. And, And the interesting thing there, you know, so we're kind of working on some product integrations right now and we're looking at code that already had existing use memos. And what we're finding is actually these use memos, there's nothing wrong with them but they're like very coarse grained, creating a big mm-hmm. array where like most of the values depend upon just like some variable X, let's say, and only a couple of them depend upon Y, but the whole use memo block has to be really evaluated if Y changes. And so we actually taught forget to rip apart the use memo inline the callback and then recompile it itself, right? Because we can act like the compiler can do better than what the author did, right? And again, maybe that's like an overly, like we might actually want to tune the heuristics for exactly how much we memoize. And so we might end up like leaving what it was, but it's really interesting that the compiler can just be pedantic and and like detail oriented way more than any like human (laughs) developer would be, right? And get like very fine grained memoization and reactivity. So we're still kind of like seeing exactly what that turns into in terms of runtime performance, but Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting. Like no human would want to write the code that forget writes. You know? <laughs> it's so interesting that you mentioned that because that is one of the things that I was equating when you were talking about having a more fine-grained approach to what needs to be re-rendered versus not because signals has become a thing that has come back into the JavaScript consciousness, I guess is the best way to, to talk about it. And SolidJS is a really good example of that. Yep. They talk a lot about how they are all about fine-grained reactivity and only updating the variables that need to be updated. So was that something that influenced this creation of Forget? Was Forget something that you were already thinking about because you just had experience with how React works today? 
Like how do signals fall into your way of building it or thinking about it or approaching it? Yeah, certainly we've been thinking about forget for quite a long time. The idea has been around in kind of various forms, going all the way back to the creation of hooks, like really came out of some explorations with prepack, which is kind of an earlier attempt to build a kind of a compiler for React. And the realization that class-based components are just a class instance is like a, just a big like you know bag of mutable state, right? And so how does a compiler understand anything about that when you know, the value this, like whenever it appears, that's mutability that just spread across the whole spectrum and there's all these lifecycle methods. Mm -hmm. And so hooks are a way clearer target for a compiler. And so, yeah, like going back years, really like the idea for, for forget was there. And it was a matter of like figuring out how it should work, finding somebody to actually just prioritizing the project itself. Like we'd already tried a compiler, hadn't worked out. So we kind of had to like take care of a bunch of other things. We were working on the big fiber refactor, right? So this is like the concurrent features and suspense. And yeah, the idea has kind of really been there for a long time. I want to add on to that where it's not just hooks, but like the React paradigm itself is is so good for a compiler, yeah. right? Like the the idea of like having a pure declarative UI and just having a pure function, render function, that's really great because a compiler can reason about it really easily. Whereas with the like imperative code, it's like, it is way harder, just like it is for a human, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that plus hooks kind of unlocked forget. That's kind of how I see it. But yeah, like compared to like signals, I think the mental model of forget of React developers is mostly working with values, right? Like, I think we sort of like that, and we want to keep that working model. So I think with forget, we will let React developers write the React code they like and they're used to writing. And now we have a platform where we can add in reactivity. And who knows? Like later, we might add signals as like an implementation detail, and it just compiles in the signals code into the component. So yeah, I don't think we're like settled on something to do with like signals yet. Mm -hmm. It's still something we're thinking about. It has been great to see the different like the different libraries like Solid and others who are exploring signals. We love the fact that there's like other approaches in the ecosystem being explored. I think like competition is just good for everyone across the board. Yeah, Solid in particular, just I think it's really, really well done. But yeah, we definitely we like the React programming model. We do think working with plain values, being able to kind of, oh, this value's null, let me return, like, you know, return like a placeholder and just not, it's a function. It kind of works more like uh, you expect. The reality is that like everything in this space is kind of like somewhat abusing JavaScript semantics. Like yeah. Svelte <laughs> is like overloading assignment. You know, React Forget is like making it so that code that like you think would run just literally doesn't run again. Solid is is rewriting the JSX in your components. And also what, what, coming from a React background, you think this function is going to run again. It only runs once. So they're all like slightly tweaking JavaScript semantics in a way. But I think we're biased. We think that the React way feels a bit more JavaScripty, right? And so we want to preserve that. And but like Satya said, like signals, maybe that's an implementation detail of forget down the road, but with the same programming model that you have today. Yeah. And when you look at the JavaScript language in general, there have always been a couple of really curious design decisions that they made, and we've just oh, yes. all learned to live with it and work around it. Oh, yeah. We definitely know since we've been writing a compiler, like, we're like, what? I'm sure. what? Why does it work that way? It's interesting. <laughs> okay. So one question that I had and that one of my friends asked was, is there a way for devs to get started with this right now? Is there some beta version of React Forget that we can use, or is it still kind of an internal thing? And what kind of potential patterns could 
developers start working with that would make their code more or less compatible with it in the future? Yeah, I think the second part is like the interesting question for me, which is like code that follows the rules of hooks, the rules of React, basically. And if you don't have any disable ESLint exhaustive depths comments on your render function, then I think forget should work fine. So I think what we've followed while building forget is if you're writing idiomatic React code, then you're good. Once you're running and using escape patches, then forget might not work out of the box. That's our philosophy while building forget. As far as like trying to run it right now, I think it's, we're still productionizing it um, internally. And then I guess once we have more data and conference, we can start thinking about rolling it out to open source. Yes. And just to, to build on that, like examples are use effect is like a kind of an approved official public API for interfacing with external systems. So forget works there. The things that are problematic are things like passing like a hook or calling a component as a regular function for actually as like a perfect example, where, you know, the idea with a component is that you're meant to use JSX syntax to invoke it so that React can lazily kind of evaluate that component inside of its own mm -hmm. kind of component instance. Right. But if you violate that, now that code is running in like a weird way. And if you call a component as a function, you can call it anywhere. The hooks inside that can be called conditionally. And so that can wreak havoc on, on the compilers. But, and there are lint rules to prevent you from doing this. So that's an example of like, if you're writing idiomatic React and just following the rules and rendering components as JSX, things are fine. Mm -hmm. If you break that, things will break. Using refs, right? Refs are like the complete escape hatch. And so yep. as you start using refs, in particular, refs are fine when you use them fine-ish. Like, obviously, there's often better patterns where you don't need a ref, but when you do actually need one, that's fine. But problem is accessing the ref's value during render, right? <laughs> the refs are meant to be, like, really used in effects, right? Um, but if you access them during render, that's basically mutable state that forget doesn't really know about or understand the lifetime of, and so it can't react. And so an example of a problem we've seen there is where there was a, a component internally that was I forget exactly what it's doing, but it was looking at a ref and just rendering the result value and somehow relying upon the parent component to re-render and in some way like update that ref. I think it was like, anyway, th but the point is that if we now memoize that component and don't render the parent again, now the child doesn't update. And so the thing there is like, well, just use state, like that is inherently state. Right. So just use the built-in mechanism to do that and then and then forget what worked just fine. Yeah. And so, you know, we have lint rules for all these things. We understand there's times where developers are just trying to get stuff done. They bypass the lint rule. But if you're trying to get ready for forget and want to and like roll that out more, then like paying attention to those lint rules is important. We've talked a little bit about what this means for the future of React and where it's going. Is there anything else that we haven't really discussed yet that you want to touch on in terms of React Forget and the compiler? One of the things we've that yeah, Satya touched on this earlier, like that kind of IDE integration, giving more feedback to the developer as they're working, that they're the existing lint rules are very comprehensive. Forget is even better and more sophisticated in its in its analysis. And so I think it can do even more. So we still have to actually build all that out. Like kind of forgets doing its own its analysis internally, but we're not that's not hooked up to the lint rule yet. But I think long term, what we foresee is almost like a, a React IDE like kind of language server plugin that can be giving you like specific hints, like 
maybe showing you this value is like not as efficiently memoized as it could be because you've done something. And maybe here's a hint for how you can structure your code better. We have all this knowledge that like we can surface to the developer to help them write better code. And that could also go into yeah. helping to understand, like maybe even understand like exactly what weird ref pattern you're doing and suggest a specific, you know, like, oh, okay, it looks like you're doing this pattern. Maybe go see this documentation page for another way to think about this. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there to use our sophisticated understanding of the code to help the developer learn to like get their work done. Yeah. So that's an area that we're, we're really excited about exploring, but uh, first we got to ship memoization. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with react copilot light is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. I wanted to touch on a few of the other things that you talked about in the newsletter, just because we have some listener questions that are around sure. them and I'm sure that people would love a high overview. So one of the other things that we talked about a little bit towards the beginning and now again is the React server components. One listener wanted to know, how are they going to improve the development of full stack React applications, which I think you talked about it's server side rendering first yep. class, but exactly. maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of folks have asked us, how should they do data fetching in React? How should they do routing in React? The routing, there's long been a great answer, which is React Router has always been a, a really, really amazing library. We've long recommended that people use that, but the data fetching side has been more of an open question. And in particular, even if you have a good routing solution, you really want them the, the data fetching and routing to be integrated. This is something I think we, we realized internally all the way back, like when I joined Facebook back in 2014, this is like, you, the insight for me is like, oh, wow, yes, the precursor to the relay team was integrating data fetching and routing and like all the things that that unlocked way back then. But the challenge has been figuring out how to kind of make that a general purpose capability that everyone can use, right? Like we were doing that with GraphQL, which is like a way to let us take all the data dependencies of the UI and bubble them up to the route level so that we could then do a route level, say, okay, we're going to this route, let's get all the data for it and render it. And so... There hasn't been a great kind of general purpose way to do that. Remix loaders are a, like a pretty good solution for this, but it's still for each nested portion of your route, you still got a lot of components there. And you're like, how do you like aggregate all the data fetching for them? Server components are go one step further and say, yeah, just let individual components fetch the data they need. And sure, for the client portion of your app, you're still gonna have to fetch everything that they, that client portion needs on the server and kind of pass it down, but it makes mm -hmm. it much more clear how you could structure a whole app. And I think similar to the kind of the way that Remix apps can often not need really too much client kind of state management solution, you get that same thing with a, with a kind of server components out of the box. Um, but again, like where you have true co-location of data dependencies in the exact component. And I think it's something where it's like, oh, that sounds nice, but like, as your app gets bigger, it really matters to be able to just say, oh, I need this extra like this extra piece of information. I will just fetch it here. I don't need it anymore. Cool, I'll stop fetching it. And nothing else in the app breaks because all your data fetching is local. It's just so yeah. powerful. Another question that kind of ties in well is when should we use a server versus a client component? Are there any easily recognizable things that you can say, oh, if it's this kind of a situation, it only needs to be on the server or it should yeah. be on the client? Yeah. So I think as a general rule, I think of it as your app starts with a server component root. Again, and this is very much, if you're building a brand new app today, how would you structure it? Certainly there's incremental migration considerations that we can talk about, but in, in the kind of in the future paradigm, right? The server components paradigm, you're starting with server components at the root 
And you basically stay in server components until you realize, oh, I have some interactivity. And that's when you introduce a client component. But the interesting thing is that we don't allow client components to render server components could that, because mm-hmm. that could cause a waterfall and have to go back to the server to make another request. But you can structure, there's the, the pattern of passing children into a component. So for example, you can have a client side tab component where the actual tabs themselves are all children passed from the parent and they can be able to be actually server rendered. So you can have a server page that's saying, okay, I'm going to render a tab component and pass in a bunch of server rendered children to it. And now the client is simply just choosing between pre-rendered, like which pre-rendered tab from the server. So those kind of patterns work too. So you can think about designing your interactive components in that way to allow that server content to still be passed in. And then that kind of gets it so that it's really just the interactive pieces that end up actually being client components. Another thing that you touched on is asset loading. And this actually brought up a question that you already talked about, which is React Router has been the default in terms of routing and uploading different pages and stuff like that. But one of our our listeners wanted to know, is there going to be something that you're going to include in the React core for data manipulation? Redux has been a standard for years. React Query has really come into its own recently. So is there something like that React ever sees being part of its core? Yeah, it's a great question. We've thought a lot about what is the sort of state management primitive that should exist in React. Lots of discussions, lots of kind of prototypes and ideas. I think what we've come to, at least for right now, is that really like server components and the fetch and cache APIs that are kind of part of server components are really actually a lot of that. Like, for example, just using the built-in fetch mechanism in a server component, that actually is a state management system, especially when, when you combine that with the, the sort of caching and the routing integration that happens in Next, for example, and other frameworks mm-hmm. can implement similar patterns. So specifically what I mean there is you go to some page, it's mostly server rendered, you do some action that goes back to the server, refreshes the server content that comes back down and the, the page updates. And there's no client-side state management at the application level happening there. It's just kind of part of the framework that content refreshes as the action occurs. And now, yeah. you know, you navigate to other pages that were cached and we know that, well, there's been a mutation so we can kind of uh, invalidate those caches and refetch them as, as you navigate around again, or they can do stale and validate. And a lot of those things just, or even the need for something like React Query, it's a great library, but the need for it might go away. You might not need that as much because you're just using a server component. You might still use that library and Relay, React Query, all, uh, Apollo, like all these data fetching libraries, Redux, they might still make sense for the client portions of your app. But for a lot of the time, you know, server components will actually uh, j- will, you know, just, just work. So we'll kind of mm-hmm. see how things go. That would be awesome because we always want to ship less JavaScript and have exactly. less less sizable bundles and less libraries. So if, if React can handle that. So do you see that affecting the future of the context API or does that still have its own unique use case? Yeah, I think the context API, uh, as far as we're thinking now, still a core part of React. Um, there's just a lot of use cases for that sort of within this subtree some value is true or, you know, like a, a theme, um, just so many interesting cases where like that just can be solved by context, but yeah, we'll yeah. definitely still evaluate. Yeah. We're kind of always, always rethinking our own best practices, <laughs> but yeah, certainly for now, like we, we see context as a part of React. All right. So can you tell us anything about either the document metadata or the off-screen rendering, both of which were also mentioned in the blog post? 
Yeah, I can touch on them briefly. I think one of the kind of meta point here is actually that the React core team has grown in size quite a bit. And a couple of years ago, it really was a small team where I think everyone had much more context on everything that was happening. And one of the interesting mm-hmm. things that's happened over the last couple of years is we've significantly increased the number of contributors across the React core team and the React space. Josh Story, and with a, with a little bit of help from uh, from Mofe, and as well as uh, obviously many others are working, but primarily Josh is uh, working on what we call Float, another uh, F uh, <laughs> pun, pun name, but it's kind of really about setting things like document metadata, like being able to preload a CSS and, and other assets and so the blog post goes into more detail, but really the idea is what are the missing pieces to let React really own the whole document as opposed to just rendering into a piece of that. And then with, within that, there's the kind of challenge of we really want to allow components to be fully modular. and But things like link tags that go, it's this component needs this link tag to be on the page, but the link tag has to go somewhere else. And so how do we make that work right. while still allowing you to think about component as like the unit of encapsulation. And then off-screen rendering. So off-screen rendering is a project that on our side, actually some, um, so Sam Sosla, who's on the, traditionally was on the React Native team has been contributing a lot. So again, like just really increasing the number of contributors to the kind of core React effort. So he's been working with Andrew Clark on this. And the idea is to take advantage of our new concurrent rendering capabilities to say, let's be able to start rendering content that's like not even visible yet. Mm-hmm. and treat it as off-screen. And so this can work for things like pre-rendering a route that like, you know, you hover over a link. Can we start pre-rendering that? You have a virtual scroll list. Can we start pre-rendering items that are about to appear? And then also as items go out of you, can we put them into the, this off-screen state, which is using less resources, right? We don't need all their subscriptions to be firing. We just need like when it comes back into view, we can just refresh it, for example. Yeah. And so that's the idea of off-screen, but uh, still in the implementation phase. But yeah, I think it's nice. definitely promising. That's actually a great segue as you're talking about what is coming next. So are there any other features that you can share about React or to our listeners, things they can be looking out for, things that are coming soon, things that you've started potentially playing around with or thinking about adding to it? Yeah, I think the main thing I would call out is we've gotten a lot of feedback from the community around the usability and developer experience with hooks, right? You touched on that earlier, talking about some of the issues with manually specifying dependency arrays for use effect. And there's a few other kind of more, like some more niche use cases around refs, around use effect. And so we're exploring some new APIs that kind of help to really fill in the kind of few kind of gaps and uh, around the usability of those hooks. So for example, one thing that we were looking at was can refs have like a cleanup function? So use effect, the kind of, now we just have this sort of create and destroy semantic, but sometimes you actually want to have something that gets preserved and just updated. And so you want more like CRUD semantics, like create, update the effect Mm -hmm. as it changes and then destroy. And so can we support that use case? And then also I mentioned use effect event, which is targeted at these effects that want to update when certain properties change, but not others. And so making that more of a first-class concept. So these are things that we just, we've heard the feedback from the community. Dan Abramov was, um, as he was writing the docs and coming up with examples, like did a lot, a lot of research and helped identify these pieces and formalize them into APIs. And so, yeah, I think that's something that I'd be on the lookout for. Like, you know, there's like the everyday things that you run into as a React developer that we want to help make, make better for people. So what are you both excited about for 2023? And this could be React related. It could be personally, it could be just, completely out there. What are you looking forward to this year? I guess shipping forget. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that is the goal, though, is to release it sometime in 2023 to the general public. No promises, but yeah, we we (laughs) like to ship it and have everyone in the ecosystem use it. I think we're definitely listening to the community, hearing the pain points from them, and we're trying to improve it. I think Forget is a big piece of that puzzle. I'm definitely excited to get this in the hands of React developers. Yeah. Yeah, I think same. Really excited. It's been a super fun. I mean, it it continues to be a super fun project, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and say like we're excited about the next thing. But there's like, I think I am really excited about what comes next. The pieces that we talked about, like kind of IDE integration, think rethinking, okay, Today, we like the runtime works in a certain way. Now that we have the sophisticated compiler, can we actually change what's happening at the runtime to take advantage of that better? Like whether it is signals or some other kind of other ideas um, we've explored around more targeted updates for things that like the compiler can unlock. We've thought about things like server optimized bundles, right? Where like if like the compiler knows like the semantics of use effect and can say, ah, I know that, right? And we produce an optimized bundle that not only strips out like your use like us. So for like for server rendering builds, for example, can we like strip out the use effect and then do dead code elimination on all the values that were only produced to pass to the effect and then further optimize up the tree and and really like improve performance that way. These ideas may or may not pan out, but these are like uh, interesting things that you know I'm looking forward to exploring. Again, though, we got to like, actually ship forget (laughs) right gotta get what you're working on first done and then go on to the next thing so really excited for that yes yeah that's actually a perfect segue into my last point so satya you had a tweet that was pretty interesting where you said that some people feel like react is winding down obviously it seems like neither of you feel like that is the case what are the new players doing for you are they giving you more ideas more fire to get to bring react into what is the new and hot today like What would you say to those people who feel like React is in the past still, and they're going for the new JavaScript frameworks? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's in the past. And we're like innovating a lot on React, actually, with the forget compiler. I'm definitely excited for the future of React, especially like with forget helping on the static analysis bit, and then all of the capabilities we're unlocking with server components. I think it's definitely an exciting time to be a React developer. The work to build the concurrent rendering features in React like definitely took a, a long time to, to just work through the different like all the different design uh, and like kind of user experience like trade offs right and we're and we're kind of still tweaking the user experience pieces of that but that's a fundamentally powerful capability to to be able to render a different version of the UI in the background and so the fact that I think we've invested in that we've brought the community along with this this immutable style of writing code and i think we, we definitely hear the complaints of like oh it's so much easier just to write like you know mutation in place but it's so powerful what you get when you use the react style mm-hmm. and i think you know it's features like off screen it's features like server components which really do kind of depend upon a lot of the concurrent rendering features under the hood like routing features maybe in the future animations again no promises <laughs> that with i think though like as we're able to ship out not just like the core concurrent features, but like the things that kind of build on them. I think that's when people are going to like, a lot of things are going to really click for people like, ah, okay, the React team saw this and invested years to get here where other frameworks, yeah, okay, you can achieve like a simpler thing with a much simpler implementation. And that like, that's nice. There's something wrong with that, but we think it's worth the longer term investment to build like an even more powerful system that delivers, not because we can, but because it delivers real tangible user experience benefits. Right. The one thing that we actually didn't really touch much on is like this entire like ecosystem of React Native 
which is also amazing, right? As a React developer, you get to be a mobile developer as well. And that's something that's an insane value add from being a React developer. I mean, it. I love React just for the fact that it has worked so hard to be backwards compatible while always introducing these new features that make it so much easier to do the same things. I understand getting it right the first time that you actually release it to the public is a big deal. And having a legacy code base that you're also supporting at the same time and making sure that it still works is a massive undertaking. So I'm excited for the future of it. And it has been an absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about React Compiler and all the cool new things that are coming to React in the near future. Yeah, thank you so much, Paige. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. Once again, thanks for being on the Log Rocket podcast, and we will see everybody for the next episode. <laughs>